I know we do have several that are visiting, and you know, that's just great. We, we're so thankful that you're here. It's great to have some kids that are here, and so don't be uh, overly conscious, I guess, or of, or don't be too aware of the noise or anything. We don't care, and so we don't want you to care. We're, we're just here to worship God. We're here to praise Him and to open up His Word, to try to teach each other, to see what God has to say to us so that we can be more like His Son, so that we can also be more faithful to Him. And we go through difficult times and we go through struggles, but that's why we have each other as a family here. If you're passing through, we hope that you do have safe travels. We hope you enjoy your time here and that you're safe. And if you have any questions about things to do around here, just ask somebody. Uh, maybe get a couple of opinions. Don't just ask one person because you never know who you're talking to. You don't know what their interests are. And if you are from the community and uh, you live here and you're looking for a group to associate with, we'd love to have you. But more than anything, we would just like to get to know you and have, have you get to know us. Our, our, our theme this year, and this is the last Sunday of the month, so we're doing a, we have a theme sermon Sunday, and so that's what we're doing today. So our theme is from 1 Corinthians 3, and I'll start by just reading from 1 Corinthians 3 if you want to look up here. Our theme is based on that, the idea that Jesus Christ is our foundation. So from 1 Corinthians 3, if we pick up in about verse 5, Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So our theme is, that is totally based on the fact that Jesus Christ is our foundation. But some of the things that we're discussing and some of the things that we're looking at this year and we just started this two months ago, so uh, we're, we're kind of fresh with our theme. If, if we need more chairs, we can pull out more chairs as well. That's no problem. Okay, you sure? All right, all right. I got you. It's, it's, been, it's been a morning already. I got you, I got you. Um, so the other part of our theme is our living goal, which is that we want to be better built on Christ so that we can be what it says in verse 9, that we are his building, we are his Filled, and we are a dwelling place for God, like it also says in verse 16. So we're going to go kind of a totally different direction with what we're going to talk about this morning. we past two months, we've talked about Jesus Christ. If we want to talk about our foundation being Jesus Christ, we need to talk about Jesus. And that's what we've done the past two months. This month is going to be a follow-up to a lesson that, that I did last month, which is from the book of Ezra. Which might be a really weird place, you think, to go to talk about Jesus Christ and our foundation. But in the book of Ezra, what we see is we see that people, the people of God are allowed to go back home. 
There, there's a remnant that is allowed to go back home. And they're going to get established. They're going to get further established. And they start building things. They uh, set up an altar. They, they start building a temple. And, and then people around them get really worried. And they send word back to the kings of Persia. And they say, hey, if you let this happen, then this is going to go really bad for you. You don't understand what's about to happen. That was after they said, hey, let us, let us build with you. And they said, no, you have no part in this work because you're not the people of God. And God's work is meant for God's people. And that's what we talked about last month. We, we studied and we looked at chapters 1 through 6 and we never actually saw Ezra. Because Ezra doesn't come on the scene until chapter 7. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Ezra chapter 7 through 10. And we're going to take a look at some things that I think might apply to us and some New Testament passages that, uh, that we can kind of see some connections with. First, what I want to do is, I, if you will, just open up to the book of Ezra in chapter 7. And instead of read all of Ezra 7 through 10 and take up the rest of the time and have everyone go to sleep, not that it's boring, but I'm just saying, you know, we could do what Nehemiah did and where, you know, when Ezra opened the book, everyone stood and then people might still fall asleep during the reading. <laughs> it would, it would be take a while. What I want to do is I just want to run through some observations that I made from these three, from these four chapters and then we'll get in and look at some specific verses. So first, beginning in chapter 7, you have Ezra that comes on the scene. King Artaxerxes in Persia is reigning. This is about, from my understanding, about 70 years after the initial uh, group was able to go back. So it's been quite a while. That's long enough for things to kind of go bad, if you think about it. It didn't take long for the children of Israel, when they were in the promised land, to mess some stuff up. It didn't take them long when they were in the wilderness to get a little confused and to get grumpy and to forget who led them out of Egypt. Seven years is not that long. And so that's going to kind of uh, show to be true that, that they kind of forgot their God and they began doing some things that they shouldn't have done. But it says that Ezra is a scribe. He's skilled in the law of God, that he understands God's word. So the king allowed all that he asked because God was with him. He, he allowed Ezra to take whoever. It was a free-for-all. Whoever wanted to go could go. And he even supplied him with many things. So, like for instance, if you look at verses 11 through 28, so really that, that's just a copy of the letter, which the, the, uh, would have been also spread out throughout the region so that everyone knew there's these people coming that are going back to, to Judah, going, going back to the land of Canaan, right? And he wanted to make sure that it was a clear path for them. So then we, we see in chapter 8 that Ezra starts getting everyone ready, it seems. And the interesting thing is that there's no Levites there. Of all the people that should be ready to go back, it's an open invitation. Anyone that wants to go back home can go. I would think the Levites would be some of the people. But none of the Levites are there. So he actually sends specific um, orders, if you will, and is like, hey, go tell so-and-so to get some people. Okay, And I think it's, the person's name was... Ido or Ido, however you say that. So, so it's a free-for-all, but they need some Levites because they need people that are going to be specifically focused on their responsibility in the temple, in the kingdom, in, in the land that they are going to go and go back into. But before they do that, he sets up a fast and he establishes that, hu that humility needs to be a priority. They seek God for strength and protection and they don't ask the king for any help. In fact, he actually says that if he asked the king for help, it would be communicating to the king that he's ashamed of his God. So he makes sure that the king and everyone else knows that it is God that is leading them, it is God that is protecting them, and they are on the way to fulfill their responsibility to their God. 
But when he gets there, he, he sees and he hears word that the people have intermarried. And they've intermarried not just with different people, but different people with different religion, different beliefs, with different gods. And it is because they were not separated. They did not separate themselves or they did not sanctify themselves. It even says that the, in chapter 9 that the holy race has been mixed. Now, that idea has been taken and has been turned around to mean something totally different in our history, right? That's not at all what was meant here. They were not serving God because they had married the people of the land. They had married the Canaanite people, right? So we don't need to be, get that confused with anything else. It says that all the people had been unfaithful, but the leaders were even worse because the leaders were the ones that kind of paved the way for that. They allowed that. They let that happen. And, but Ezra actually takes ownership of this sin as well. And he says that it is our iniquities, that we had sinned. Ezra wasn't even there. He didn't do any of that. But Ezra understood something that maybe other leaders didn't understand and maybe sometimes that we forget. That when we are involved with a group, especially when we have some sort of influence and leadership, it is our sin. If we are joined with a group and we say we are together, we can't just be together in the good stuff. We are also together in the iniquities. Especially when we're talking about them being the nation of God. They, they really had sinned against God and he knew that. And so out of humility... He understood that they needed to, to bow down, to just approach God humbly. They needed God to forgive them. And it says that God extended his steadfast love, even in the midst of slavery. So there was this idea that while they were, they were going through difficult times, they, they still saw that God was, was good to them. They had forsaken God, but now they will not forsake him any longer. So that's the best I can do as, as a quick um, summary. So they, they turn things around. And, and really, the book of Ezra has kind of a weird ending. Um, it just kind of lists all the people that had done wrong. <laughs> These people had married foreign women. I think the idea is that they were going to have to correct that. And so at the end of it, I, think that I believe that the idea is all this stuff that led to them forsaking God was going to be made right that they were going to repent, that they were going to change this around and be focused on God. So what does that have to do with our theme this year? Well, that's a great question. So what I want to do is I want to take a look at basically at least one point from each chapter in Ezra 7 through 10. And then I, I want to look at something in the New Testament that kind of relates to it. First, just to kind of help us maybe, maybe get you in the same frame of mind that, that I was in when I was thinking about this. Our foundation matters not only because we have to start from the ground up, but sometimes we don't notice the foundation is weak and wobbly and decaying until we're already up here. And then we see what it looks like when we're up top and we say, wow, this whole foundation was wrong. Here's, a, here's one example of that. When I was in, in school in Auburn, I, a lot of people wanted to go to this fire tower that was out in Tuskegee. Um, and, um, I went, I did not want to go up on it though. I just have a thing about, I'm okay with heights, but not that kind of heights. Um, Richard would, he wouldn't have even gone and gotten in the car to go with us. I guarantee you. So, so I, I didn't, when we got there, I looked up and I was like, nah, I'm good. I, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not connected to anything. I'm just going to, it's a free climb kind of thing. In my mind, I was like, this isn't happening. And everyone else was like, oh, it's no big deal. And then they said, well, you got to watch out because there's some steps that are missing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this isn't happening, you know. Uh, I'm not doing that. 
and the really, it's not just because I was afraid of heights and everything, but it, it really was just because when something's falling apart, I'm not climbing up that thing. I'm not going up several stories when I know that in the first couple stories, it's falling apart. I have no confidence in that. Now, maybe the top looked great, though, and everything looked fine. The foundation was awful to me, so I wasn't doing that. Well, what did it look like in the days of Ezra? It actually looked like to some of the people that their foundation was fine. Until all of a sudden they get kind of to the up top where they've been building and everything just looks terrible because they're intermarrying, they're serving other gods, they're, they're, not, committing, they're not committing themselves to God, to God like they need to. The leaders are treating people wrongly, which is kind of just a par for the course in Israel's history. So what does that communicate about their foundation? It wasn't right. And I think that we could say the same about us, that when we look at our lives, when we look at the things that we do, we look at the people we associate with and the things we involve ourselves with, with them, sometimes that communicates what our foundation is based in. And if it doesn't look like Christ outwardly, then we need to question whether or not it's based on Christ. So first, let's uh, read what we already read at uh, the beginning of the worship service this morning. That's from Ezra chapter 7. Ezra 7, beginning in verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord was with the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So the first thing that I get from this is that when we're thinking about our foundation, we need to pattern ourselves after Ezra here, where his focus was on God and on God's word. That needs to be our focus if we want to have a good foundation. It needs to be on God. It needs to be on God's word. Unless we don't care that our lives look the way God wants them to look. If we don't care about that, then our foundation doesn't matter. But if we care about that and we want to be pleasing to God, we want to make sure we have this relationship with God, then our our foundation needs to be focused on God and his word. So it says that Ezra was known for being an expert in God's law. He was a scribe. Maybe one thing that we we need to take from that is that we need to know God's word. And he also says that we need to study it. It needs to be something that we become an expert in. Not that we're an expert in an academic sense, which is what it kind of became as a scribe, but we need to be an expert in it that we know it, that it is in our hearts, it is written on our hearts, that it's something that we can, we can think of in times where we're going through difficult times. We can think of his word when we have good things going in our life. When other people are going through difficulties, we think of God's word. It is at the forefront of our minds. Another thing that I do get from verse 10, though, is when it says that he set his heart to study the law. That means he was constantly seeking God's word. (coughs) So we need to know it. We need to study it. We need to set our hearts on it and seek it. But then it says that he did it and he taught it. So that's kind of a, a great little formula there. We need to know God's word. We need to study it. We need to set our hearts on it. We need to do it and we need to teach it. So as far as a foundation, like Ezra's the guy to establish a good foundation. And if we want to have a good foundation in our lives, we need to pattern ourselves like Ezra. One passage that I, and if you want to hold uh, 
just your place in Ezra. Let's go over to 2 Timothy 3. This might be a familiar text, but just to make sure we understand that this is not, that uh, the things that were valuable from God's word were not just the things in the Old Testament or the Torah or anything. In 2 Timothy 3, you see verse 16, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we look at that, that passage, I don't think we just need to look at that when we're having a conversation with someone that says, well, I don't think I really need the Bible that much. I, I just have a relationship with God. Like, I know God. He knows me. Jesus knows me. We're good. Like, we shouldn't just be like, well, hey, all Scripture is profitable. Like, we need to know this is true for us, that it is good for us to be corrected by Scripture. It is good for us to have this teaching, this training in righteousness that comes from Scripture. That that way we can be complete or perfect or mature and that we are equipped for every good work. So in order for every good work to be considered good by God, we first need to be established in his word. And I think that's something that we know, but that's something that we just need to remember. So that's, that's the first thing that I get from Ezra is that he is a great example and he's the guy that is going to be perfect for this work that God has for him. What about for us? Are, are we like Ezra, where we value God's word that way, where we seek it, we study it, we want to know more of it because we see its value for us, but also we do it and we teach it. I, I think sometimes I'm better at the teaching it, which is not a good quality necessarily. Because if, I don't, if I'm not good at knowing it, studying it, seeking it, and doing it, then what good is it if I just teach it? Like it might be good for someone else, but when they see my life, do they see that I do it as well? Or maybe some of you are, are really good at studying it and seeking it and knowing it, but the doing it, I guess difficult, and then the teaching it, we'll just forget that. I'm not saying that we all have to be perfect in every single step of that, but that is the complete picture of a person that has their foundation based in God and is ready to go through difficulty, is ready to correct those, is ready to, to make sure that they stand firm and stand true to God even when no one else is. Because when Ezra goes in and he hears what's going on in the land, it's on him. It's on him to set the tone, right? All right, let's go on to chapter 8 in Ezra. Ezra chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading in verse 21. Ezra 8, beginning in verse 21. So this is Ezra speaking. He says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods, for I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So he fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Sometimes what we have to do is we have to reset and we have to refocus. Like if, we're, if we're needing to make sure that our foundation is right, then we kind of have to take a step back. And I think that's one of the things we see from Ezra here. Not that he needed to refocus, but the idea of fasting, the idea of humbling himself, was kind of a, a way for, for them to take a step back to make sure that their priorities were what they needed to be, that their focus is what it needs to be as they go and they set this path out to enter the land. A fast was required to prepare for the travel and the work that's ahead. 
And Ezra didn't want to seem ashamed of God by relying on the king or other things. So if you think about it, he kind of fasted in two different ways. He fasted from food and he fasted from any help other than from God. Like he didn't want any of that. What about us? I think a fast is required of us as well. A fast is going to be required of us to separate ourselves from anything that might allow us to feel like we have protection or security other than God. Like if I find that from somebody else, I need to take a step back and I need to refocus. I need to kind of separate myself, have a fast, if you will. Or if I realize that, wow, I, I'm really tied to the things of this world a lot. Like I, I really enjoy these things in this life. Maybe what I need to do is I need to take a step back. I need to remove myself from those things and I need to kind of reset. And I think that's one of the, one of the things we see here from Ezra. It doesn't say that he reset, but that's, that's the, the image that I get. See, we want to be known as a people that do not rely on earthly things, and we should not be ashamed when people think that God is all we have going with us. In fact, if we communicate to other people in our lives that we need more than God for, um, for peace, for comfort, for protection, for understanding how to live, that, I, that God doesn't give that to me like I need then really I think what we're communicating is that we're ashamed of our God or we're bringing shame upon our God, if you will. I think one of the places we could go to look at that might be Colossians 3, this idea of separating ourselves from everything earthly and worldly. But I want to go to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 17 through 19. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 17. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We were studying this actually Thursday. Uh, William and I were at a study with a couple other people. And I didn't really bring this out as much. We talked about this some. But in the context of the book of Philippians, if you look earlier in chapter 3, he's worried about these dogs that are going to be teaching false things. These people are going to come in and teach things that were not true, not right. And so then as we get to this, it's like, join in imitating me. Like, and make sure you follow the example of those who follow the teaching that you've received from me. But there are these other group of people that he says that he even has tears for, that they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, what kind of people would they be? Were they those dogs from earlier in the chapter? That, that's possible. But as, as I read this, I, I think that these might be people who they were no longer imitating Paul. They were no longer following the example that they had from Paul and the apostles. I think these were people that at one point would have considered themselves Christians, believers, part of, part of the church here. But now those people aren't living the way they need to. And they don't need to be looked at as an example for these other Christians. Well, what, what was it that, that drew them away? Well, maybe it was when he says their God is their belly. All those desires you got, I'm not talking about just the food right now. I'm, I'm saying anything, like that becomes your God. Like what you want, what you are 
just really, really feel like you need, that becomes your God. But what, what if the people did that in Ezra's day? Well, maybe they would have intermarried. Maybe they would have sought after other gods like they did. But Ezra was there saying, no, we're going to have a fast. We're not going to have any of that stuff because we're going to go in and we're going to be pure and we're going to clean things up. We need to understand that that's what we need to be. We need to be a people that will separate ourselves from all the things that are earthly, all the things that draw us in, all the things that will satisfy our desires. And then one day we wake up and we realize that's become our God, our idol, if you will. But another thing that I think we do need to take seriously is sin. We get that from Ezra chapter 9. So let's go back to Ezra and in chapter 9. We need to take our sin very seriously. In beginning of verse 1 of Ezra 9, After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wise for themselves and for their sons." So that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and set appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I set appalled until the evening sacrifice. Ezra's reaction to hearing the sin of his fellow countrymen, his brothers and his sisters, after they had returned and everything, and they, these are people that had been there for you know, 70 years or maybe you know 60 some odd years, his reaction communicates something to us, which is that sin is serious. And it's, it causes him to be appalled. It causes him to rip out his hair and hair from his beard. That's painful, I'll tell you. Uh, there have been a couple little children who, you know, if you hold them and then they see that beard, they just, they gravitate towards it. Next thing you know, they got a chunk of beard hair in their, in their hand. It's painful. And I think that what we see from Ezra is we see this outward expression of the inward torment that he feels hearing the sin of the people. He tears his cloak, he tears out his hair, his, his uh, hair from his beard, and he just sits there and he's just appalled. He's just like saying, how could you do this? Well, do we treat sin that way for ourselves? Like when I, when I think of my life, do I have that same reaction if I were to wake up one day and realize that I'm in sin? What about my fellow brothers and sisters? Do I take sin that seriously? Now, what it says is that they had not separated themselves from the people, that they had intermarried with these other nations. They had mixed the holy race. And Ezra says that that is faithlessness. And what way is that faithlessness? If you think about that, like that just sounds like they weren't self-controlled or they, you know, they had problems where they, yeah, they, they just had problems with their own desires and their fleshly fleshly um, passions, right? But he says that's faithlessness. So here, here's maybe one thing, that how I think we can relate. Anytime that we are unwilling to separate ourselves from the things that we really want, that does not just communicate that I have a problem in this one area. 
It actually communicates that I have a faith problem, that I have a lack of faith, either lack of faith in God, lack of faith in his word or something. And it's not a lack of faith in ourselves. It's a lack of faith in God. But that doesn't mean that they're, they're can't, they can't be turned around at all. They can, they can still kind of get back on the right track. Because if you go down to verse 6, he says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have given into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, as it is today. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands. With their abominations, they have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserved and have given us such a remnant as this, Shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor any to escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just. For we are left a remnant that has escaped as it, as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. So this is Ezra's reaction, and this is his conclusion. He's like, God, we, we had all these bad things. We were in slavery. We were in bondage and everything, and you delivered us. You've done so much good for us. You left us a remnant like you said you would, and what you said was that we shouldn't do these things. That's exactly what the people have done. And now, what's the solution? He says, and this might not sound like a great solution, Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. So here, here's one of the application points, I think, for, for us, is that when we see that we ha- are in sin, that we have not followed the commandments of God, that our foundation is not what it needs to be, not only should we take our sin very seriously, but we, that doesn't mean we need to run away from God. We need to be before him in our guilt. Because all the things that it described about God, how he's just, how he's this, and how he will take care of them, how he loves them and everything, that still is true. But that doesn't mean that they should just fall back and think, well, I'm, I'm still fine. You have to be before God in your guilt. But then you go on and you see later on in chapter 10 that they actually do confess their sin. They actually do try to be made right. But it's going to take some pretty big steps on their part. So maybe another thing that, that we need to just take heart in is that even when we 
see the guilt of our sin, we can still be renewed and be revived and still be one with God, but not in the midst of our sin. We have to be before God in our guilt, and we have to approach him. We have to confess, and we have to be forgiven, and then we have to be made right. Like God is the one that's going to make them whole. But in order to be made whole, they might have to tear some things down. They might have to end some relationships. Now, what I'm not saying is that, hey, if you realize that you're not where you need to be with God, you probably should just go home and you should tell your spouse that you're leaving them because that's the solution. That's not what I'm saying at all from this. What I am saying is that when we know that this person or this group or this activity, this whatever it is, when we know that this has led us to forsake God, we must separate ourselves from that activity that person, that group in some way to the point where, to the point where we, we no longer are going to be affected by their influence. Now, again, what I don't think that means is you're married to someone that's not a Christian and based on what Ezra says here, you just go divorce them. We have other scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus himself is pretty clear about divorce. But he's also pretty clear about some other things in our lives that we might be tied to. And he says, yeah, you cut those things off. Like, are you tied to your hand? Yeah, I, I like both my hands quite a bit. You know, they're, they're attached to me. They always have been, you know, I'm tied to them. But, but he would actually say, well, you got to cut that off, right? What about your eye? What about a foot? We have a brother who he's not here today, but he actually had his foot and ankle amputated about a month and a half ago. And... That's scary to me. It's scary to me because I think that like everything about his life from now on has changed. And I think about myself and I think about, well, what if God wants me to take some, tear something away, cut something off from my life that is going to affect me for the rest of my life on this earth? Would I do that? Have I done that? And I think, unfortunately, it depends on what it is. Because <laughs> there's, there's some things I'd be more comfortable breaking away from than others. I think one of the lessons we get from Ezra and his prayer and his approach and his coming before God is that we need to take our sins seriously. We need to be before him, but we need to understand that the God that we are seeking, he is the same God that led us out of that slavery like they did for them. He's the same God that is just, that does have steadfast love and mercy. And he's a God that will, be, will provide protection and he will provide this opportunity to be in his hand once again. So let's go on down to, uh, let's see, there was one more verse I was going to go to. I think we already read it from Ezra. Let's go over to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, and we'll read just a few verses here. 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been studying 1 Peter in our Wednesday night study. 1 Peter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that these same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What kind of people is this written to? 
This is written to people that are going through difficulty. This is written to people who are going through persecution and suffering for their faith. Well, what what is the lesson that we get from this for us? So when we think about what what Ezra does, and we think about what Peter says here, I think that what we we need to understand is that there is this idea of the, the mighty hand of God that we need to humble ourselves, that we need to be drawn near to the mighty hand of God. In Ezra 7, there's a a few different places. In Ezra 7, 6, 9, and 28, that's what it says that Ezra is, that he is with the hand of God. It actually says it in chapter 8 a few times as well. We must be a people that humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that we draw near to this hand of God for protection, for comfort. That we don't find comfort and protection in anything else or anybody else. So we cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. And when we get, when we get distracted and when we are tempted, we need to resist those temptations. We need to resist the devil. We need to remain firm in our faith because we actually know that this isn't unique to just us. This is go, that everybody is going through this. And not just everybody now, but all the people of God of all time have gone through difficulties like that. But even if we suffer for a little while, we don't need to get distracted. We don't need to get be downtrodden. It says that the God of grace will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I I only I can only like wonder what it was like to be part of the remnant that went back into the promised land. And I just imagine that after a little while, they they lost their faith a little bit. They, they just kind of lost sight of God being enough for them. And I think that's what led them to do what they did. And I think that will happen to us as well. It can happen to us. But what we need to do is we need to understand that, that even with difficulty, even in the midst of persecution, even when we're having to cut things off from our life, make some changes, that God is the one that will restore us. He will confirm us. He will strengthen us and establish us. <laughs> So God is going to be the one that provides for us and protects us. I think that's what we get from Ezra. Last thing that I want to look at is the idea of being in the hand of God. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And we're going to look at the last half of this chapter. So like I said, it talks about how Ezra was in the hand of his God. It says that in Ezra chapter 7 and chapter 8 several times. So it was clear, it was clear to the king, it was clear to all those around that the hand of God was with him, which meant that, that they were going to provide for him because they could just see that like, God was with him. Is it always a good thing to be in the hand of God or to have the hand of God, God upon you? Well, actually, the, the, answer, the answer is no to that. You look at Hebrews chapter 10, let's pick up in verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said... Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
It's fearful for these people. It's fearful for people who have the word, who have this understanding, who have this have this uh, knowledge of, of who God is, who Christ is, and follow that and then reject it, trample it underfoot, the same way those people in, in Ezra's day had done to the commandments of their God. And it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of God when you're in that situation. But when you're like Ezra, when you're like what we want to be, it's actually a good thing to fall in the hands of God because there's protection there. Let's go on and we'll finish up the chapter and make one application point and then that will be it. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your poverty, property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This could have been true of the people of Ezra's day. This should be true of us today. That we are a people who do not shrink back. That we have this endurance. That we don't throw away our confidence and this great reward that follows. We need to be people who have faith and preserve our soul. We need to be people that rest in the hand of our God and in nobody else. So just a few questions as we wrap up. What other kinds of protection could you be seeking right now? What other kind of protections are you seeking? Are you seeking financial protection? What does that look like? How does that influence your life? Are you seeking emotional protection? What does that look like in your life? Are you seeking protection just for your family? It's not necessarily financial, but it's like for your family. What does that look like in your life? You see, I, I don't know what was in the minds of the people of Ezra's day that or not just Ezra's day, but before that had forsaken their God. But I imagine that at some point there was an idea of, we don't have confidence that God is going to provide these things that we need. Or it was, God is not enough for me to forsake my desires. Either way, I think we can relate to that. I think we can relate to that because sometimes when we take a look at our lives and we see that we're just consumed with, with, establishing ourselves in our job and we just and and that's like a good thing everybody says that's a good thing but then the way that looks is that i've sacrificed my family i've sacrificed my faith i've sacrificed my morals i've changed totally i've tied myself with people that are not the people of god or what if i want is i want this like emotional protection and that's what i care about so i'm not going to relate to people i'm not going to connect to people I'm actually going to live in a little bit of isolation. I'm going to do my thing. You do your thing. Well, even that's not the way that a Christian is to be viewing their life. Either way, I, I think that no matter, no matter what it is for you, I, I don't know what that thing is going to be for you. And I don't know what the thing is that, that when you look at your life, you say, hey, this doesn't look like it's based on the foundation of Christ. I hope that what you can see is that, okay, how do I fix this big thing that I got to change? 
well, I gotta, I gotta tear it down and I gotta get to the foundation. And we need to set, see the principles that, that Ezra lays out for us on being humble, of confronting our sin, approaching God with our sin, and we actually need to be tied to his word, to know it, to study it, to seek it, to do it, and to teach it. And I think when we do those things, that like when we think about Jesus Christ being our foundation, being built on him as a foundation of our faith, our lives, and our church, that those things will take care of itself. Like once the foundation has been established and we just build with the appropriate things, I think what we see in 1 Corinthians is that those things actually make, make us to where one day we say, we are God's field. We are his building. We are this temple. But if we don't have that as our foundation, then none of those other things are true. And when we see that those things aren't true now, it's going to take a lot of difficult decisions on tearing some things down. But it's worth it because it's for the saving of our souls, like Hebrews said. So I guess the question for us uh, is by way of invitation would just be, are you in the hand of God? Like, in a good way. <laughs> and if so, then stay there. Make, make sure that you stay there and that you influence others to be there. But are you in, in the hand of God in, in a different way where that's actually not a good thing? Where it's a fearful thing to fall in his hand? Well, if so, then whatever steps you have to make to correct that, to, to get out of that situation, and to instead be in his protection and his care, surrounded by his steadfast love, that's what you need to do. And we want to help you with, in whatever way we can. If you are here and you need prayers, that's something that we will do with you and for you, and we will continue to do that. If you're here and you just need to talk to somebody afterwards, then we're here for that as well. We have a song that William's going to lead, and then after that song, we will have our, our closing announcements and our prayer. Thank you.